Hello, listeners, and welcome to The Edge Podcast. I am your host, Leslie Vickery, CEO and founder of Clear Edge Marketing. For those of you new to The Edge, we feature executive women in the recruitment industry in an effort to shine the light on the wonderful women leading our industry forward and for up-and-comers. If they can see it, women in executive roles, and understand the day in the life of the C-suite, they can certainly envision and be it. With today's podcast, I am really excited to announce a new series that features our male allies. We know in order to see change on the diversity front, it will take everyone working together, and we need everyone in positions of power to support us. At the most basic level, allyship is about having someone's back. And the guests we'll have on this podcast are prime examples of this. Allies embrace their responsibilities with humility and a learning stance. I love that term, a learning stance, because it's not something that is claimed. Allyship is a process, and self-awareness is the single most important component of becoming an ally. Being an ally requires recognizing the advantages, opportunities, resources, and power you've automatically been accorded. Real allyship requires substance behind action, and today's guest is all about action. For our inaugural allyship episode, it brings me great pleasure to welcome Bert Bean, CEO of Insight Global. Welcome, Bert. Thank you, Leslie. It's great to be here. I'm so happy that you are here with us today. And while Insight Global, Bert, it's a really well-known brand in the staffing industry. However, what people may not realize is how you've expanded into new verticals and markets, including the launch of Insight Global Health, Compass, And most recently, one I'm very excited about and obviously is in direct relation to our podcast, a formal DE&I training and development service division. So I'd love for you, Bert, to tell our listeners about the current state of Insight Global, why you launched a service dedicated to DE&I. And while you're answering that, I'm going to throw this on top. I really appreciate your excitement about Insight Global having been there for so many years in the industry. So maybe you can shine a little light on on what's ahead too. Oh, sure. So I'll say why we are moving in this area, why we launched a service dedicated to DEI. We saw the power and quite frankly, the growth that gets unlocked whenever you focus on DEI or other underrepresented groups in your company. In our case, it was women and leaders. And man, when you really make that a focus, you just start to tap into so much more potential that's already there sort of in the business, right? And so we started doing that about five years ago. And it has just been amazing to see the amount of leadership talent that has emerged in the company. And so we decided to launch it because, and this gets me into what I'm so excited about for our industry, Leslie, as you know, in staffing, boy, we sit right in the middle. We see candidates, we see customers, and maybe more importantly, you know, we have, I think, 3,800 or so companies that we work with. So we we see all the environments every single day with our sales folks as, as they go into different companies. We see the struggles that they have. We see great environments. We see environments that where there's lots of opportunity. And we think to ourselves, you know, we can help people figure this out. And what we've seen is that the vast majority of companies are really, really good companies. They just don't exactly know how to do it. They just don't exactly know how to. The vast majority of hiring managers are super, super well-intentioned. They just don't know how to maybe introduce best DNI practices into it. So this really gives staffing and the staffing industry a wonderful opportunity 
to step up and say, hey, you know what? We've got some answers here. We've got some guidance. And what we've seen so far is that uh, there's a tremendous amount of demand there. I have said this for quite some time, Bert. First of all, when you look at statistics, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast, about how long it will take to reach equality, I believe it's around 136 years, according to the World Economic Forum, that the staffing industry is actually in a really wonderful position to make a difference, not only within our own industry, of course, which there's a lot of room for improvement there, but also with our consulting base, the people who you're really trying to make a difference for in their lives and the companies we service, so the hiring companies, I really think there's no greater place to be. And I, I really commend you and Insight Global for actually launching a division to support that. It means a lot to those of us who spend a lot of our time trying to make a difference. And it also means that perhaps we'll start to see that gap shrink in a little bit, as well as the amount of time it'll take to reach equality. So thank you. It's funny, once you really start to see the, the need here and understand quite frankly, the power and influence that you have as a staffing company, it really becomes more of a responsibility that I think that we have to, to really get our ducks in a row on how to find the best candidates, how to find the candidates in those underserved communities and how to help give them a real fighting chance with our customers. I mean, if we're putting tens of thousands of people to work every single year, we have a responsibility to really help our customers um, get to all people. I love that responsibility. We will take that forward for sure. Before we jump into learning more about being the ally, let's talk about your path to CEO because it actually plays a very important role in where the company is today from a DEI perspective. So, how did you get your start in staffing? And what were some of the pivotal moments that led to where you are today? So, my start in staffing is it is like a lot of the folks that, that we hire here at Insta Global, and I think a lot of the industry. I mean, I started as a recruiter right out of college and went to, went to Auburn in the Southeast. I knew that I kind of wanted to be in sales. I had a marketing background. I knew I didn't really want to do finance or accounting. You know, I wanted to be in business. And, uh, and I just sort of accidentally fell into staffing. Like, I think a lot of folks maybe like me who started in the last 15, 20 years, and, you know, just continue to apply myself, work really hard, try to have a growth mindset, try to learn, try to take a lot of feedback and was able to kind of climb up the ranks in, in that way. Um, now, though, I think it's really interesting that the staffing industry, I, I think we're working hard to really improve our image because of the power for good that we can do. And we're starting to hire a lot more people that are at least now familiar with staffing and actually are seeking it out. I think you mentioned maybe what was a, a pivotal moment or pivotal moments. I mean, they're, you know, becoming CEO, there were certainly lots of them. But if I could kind of think about one that I always sort of reflect back on, it was a board meeting that I attended as a president about three years before I became CEO. And um, we're private equity uh, owned. And so our, our board is made up of a lot of just private equity shareholders. Our current CEO knew that he was wanting to retire in the next three to five years or so. And he was trying to position me and this one other guy as, as you know, a potential CEO backfill. And quite frankly, maybe we could be the, the co-CEOs. And our board was like, no, we don't really see that. We need to pick one of them, but we need to get to know them more. So, you know, you, current CEO, need to try to be a little more quiet so we can hear, hear from these guys. So we had this opportunity in this board meeting to really speak up. Our, you know, our old CEO said, look, it's, it's between you two guys that they want to hear more from you. So... I really need you guys to step up and, and run this board meeting. 
And I think in life, especially in our careers, we have these moments that are really big that we have to step into and really embrace. And I was never a big, let's, you know, let me be the loudest person in the room sort of, sort of guy, but I knew that this was that moment. And so I prepared, 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 like a crazy person on this board meeting, like digest, you know, memorizing basically this whole hundred page deck. And whenever I got a chance to speak up on the first question that was asked, I sort of, I did, and I didn't give the mic back. I really tried to step into that moment fully. It just became really clear just from that one meeting, like there was a real separation that formed between, between me and this other individual that, that I was basically competing for the CEO role for. And I think that just, it taught me a few things. One, with preparation, you know, you can step in any moment. And two, boy, once you do, you get so much confidence that comes from that, that you can carry on to just the rest of your career. And so I, I would just, you know, encourage other people as they're thinking about their own maybe leadership journey or journey in their career. Don't be afraid to step into those moments, but make sure that you really, really prepare for them uh, so that when you get that chance, you step into it fully. I love that. It's interesting. I had Colleen Tyner. I don't know if you know Colleen from Beeline. She's their head of product and strategy on the podcast. And I remember her saying, and it's really stuck with me to make sure you put yourself in that succession seat. And when I think about what you were just talking about, really, you very intentionally put yourself there and looked at ways that you could be seen in that role. So while companies don't always have succession plans in place, you as a person can do a lot for yourself by putting yourself in that succession seat, which ultimately then helps on the succession planning front too. And something else I would say, Leslie, is that not everybody's going to have the chance of like, well, I'm not a president. I don't go to, to, to board meetings. So glad that worked for you, Bert. But I will say that a lot of people, most people, especially most leaders, will find themselves in rooms where their voice will matter. They just have to use it. And so many times we don't use our voice as young leaders. We're really close to the action. We know exactly what's going on. We know exactly what needs to be done. But maybe we think, well, what do I know? You know, or I'm sure my leader has it figured out. I just won't say anything. But I think the higher up you go in leadership, you know, what you'll find is I'm making the stuff up as I go along too. So actually I do need people around me that can use their voice and share their opinion and share ideas. And, and look, it, it may not always be received the one time you do it. So maybe set low expectations, but don't be afraid to use your voice because the second somebody says, oh, that's a really good point. Let's do what Bert says then that just gives you even more confidence in yourself to say, oh, I do belong. And now I'm going to be even more bold the second and third time. Thank you for sharing that, Bert. I appreciate that on several fronts. But one, we talk a lot about confidence and using your voice on this podcast. And we all often think of women as having that you know, lack of confidence and needing to build themselves up and find their voice and needing others to help them find their voice. So what you're basically saying is you even, Bert Bean, CEO of Insight Global, kind of had to go through that journey for, for yourself, sure. which is really great to hear. It's really for everyone to hear. Bert, allyship comes naturally to some, but in a lot of cases, it needs to be purposefully engineered into corporate culture. And I happen to know, as you know, a lot of the women on your team, in fact, Jessica Calzaretta, the president of Insight Global Health, was a recent guest on The Edge. 
To a certain degree, many of you grew up in the industry together, and we've talked a lot about the cultural changes that needed to happen. You even mentioned it already on the podcast. Otherwise, you were at risk of losing the rising stars you had in leadership positions. When I think about where your drive came from, Bert, to make that change, I have to imagine it partially came from watching your colleagues and some of the challenges they faced. You've really talked openly about reaching the executive ranks and noticing a decided lack of women at the table. I find it so interesting because you actually tried to rectify that, but your ideas were quickly shut down. And that was probably when you were in that president role. It wasn't until you secured the CEO spot that you were able to take definitive action as an ally. Your company, I believe, and all of the learnings I've had with you all and your leadership team, it just seems to be a real case study in making change and taking action. Not that it happened overnight by any stretch, but you did make change and took action. So kind of walk us through what happened and how it feels knowing that being an ally made a difference for the women on your team. And what, if anything, you'd change kind of looking back on that journey? Yes, I'll say... You know, first, in terms of what happened, you know, we were like a lot of probably staffing companies that that started in the 90s and early 2000s, started by a couple of guys, and they hired some of their guy friends. And, you know, good guys were not chauvinists, but all of a sudden, you know, especially in a company that promotes mainly from within and hires people that look like them and sound like them and have the similar interests, all of a sudden you look around and you're not super diverse and <laughs> you're pretty insulated. And now the company is like 12, 15 years old. And so that became a huge problem for us when we realized that, oh, well, now we're also hiring a lot of men and women into the company. And we don't have access to all the leadership talent from half the population in the company, which was our women. We don't have access to their diversity of thought. We don't have access to their brain power, all that stuff. And I think it does take a leader to be intentional to recognize that. It takes you being self-aware, but also even if you don't recognize that, you'll start to see people leaving your company. And that was what we saw. I mean, we saw turnover start to really spike. People started to feel like they didn't have a voice, they weren't represented. And we were just we started losing lots and lots of people. And yeah, it was awkward for me because to your point, I saw several of my friends that I grew up with in the company start to lose interest. And we were all sort of elbow to elbow driving to create this great company, but they started to lose the fire and intensity because they didn't all of a sudden see a real future for them there long term. And so I just did not like that. And I just fundamentally believed that they had a lot more to give and the company was being held back in a way by not tapping into these wonderful women. And so I brought it up. I remember saying, we need to like get the women leaders we do have together to sort of hear from them and understand from them what needs to happen, or I don't know what needs to change, or maybe it's like we bring to get them together in some sort of council and it was shot down. And so, you know, that I didn't love that. I waited about a year. And then when I, I became CEO, that was the first thing I did. First thing I did was actually change maternity leave policy to make it a full three month paid, not just six weeks paid, which that, that was an easy change to make. But it was also formed the Women's Leadership Council right away we saw just it, the company just took to it amazingly well the the woman and the still as you said we had lots and lots and lots of work to do and it didn't happen overnight but right away the women in our company especially our senior leaders started to at least say okay maybe they want to hear what i have to say and this is cool maybe they maybe they are serious about making changes 
And it gave us a real opening to grow that. And if I look back, something I, I would change, I think I would have prepared more, meaning I would have, I was just speaking from kind of from my heart and from my gut, what I felt like needed to happen. But looking back, had I gone to study, how does Home Depot do this? How does Coca-Cola do this? How, how do other companies maybe form these, what I was trying to envision as the Women's Leadership Council? How do they start this? I should have gone maybe with a little bit more of a firmer, hey, here's where this is working and this is what this would accomplish. We wouldn't be the first people to do this, can be and will be successful. I don't know if that would have gotten through. It probably would have had a little bit better chance because I know that our current CEO was a, was a good guy. He was just, he was just a little hesitant and uncertain to do it. I think afraid of the unknown maybe. But maybe on that note, and sorry to be speaking a lot, but something I would say, and this is particularly true with CEOs, and I'm, I'm saying this to myself as much as I know my fellow CEOs, but also to other senior leaders, and this is men or women, but particularly men, is we don't realize sometimes how fragile and how delicate people's ideas are. Man, if they can work up the confidence and the guts to bring up an idea, even if it's a little half-baked, to just be so quick to dismiss it and crush it out can be devastating. And it can cause us to never have that person bring up another idea again. And ultimately, I think that's how companies start to stop innovating. That is when people stop bringing up ideas you know, or potential solutions to problems. It's just a good reminder you know, to say, if somebody does bring up an idea that maybe we're even a little nervous about or hesitant of, instead of saying, no, that'll never work, instead say, you know, I'm a little uncertain. You know, why don't you take some time? Let's take two weeks, come back to me and educate me on this idea. Assure me on this idea. Tell me what the downside could be and make me a believer. You know, I think that can sometimes be a real safe way to approach some of these ideas that in some ways can be can be frightening to some folks. Maybe that's what I've done different. And that's maybe advice I would give to anybody else that is maybe my former CEO seat. Uh, to approach new ideas in, in that way. I love that you gave advice on both sides of the table there. If you're a CEO with people coming to you and a lot of the people listening to this from the male ally standpoint, a lot of the CEOs in our industry are men. So it's important for them to hear that feedback and advice. And also, you know, you did use your voice, which you talked about earlier, and data speaks volumes. So whether right. it's coming from the outside or even the inside, you know, one of the things we work with companies on, the very first thing is, do you really know what your data tells you? Have you done a sentiment survey lately? Have you compared that to raw HR data to see how people really are feeling? So you can use your data outside company perspective data. Clearly, Rated actually launched a um, DEI sentiment ish survey for the staffing industry where you can benchmark yourself against the industry as well and your peer group, which is great. So you have a lot that you can arm yourself with. But Bert, those things weren't even in place. I want to say that's been in place within the last two years, but when you went to your CEO to do that, it, it wasn't even in place. So we've made a lot of strides. I mean, look, you launched a whole practice and a division on it. You used your voice to make change within the company. And now when I look at your organization, even from a leadership perspective, it looks a lot different today than it did even when you first became CEO, which is great. I think it's over 65%, maybe 70% of all leadership promotions done today are female which is great. I mean, it's, it's cool to see that the women in our company rising up in that way and they're moving into vice president roles. I just added another female to my leadership team 
uh, last month. I mean, it's it's really, really neat to see. Well, part of that is some of the changes you instituted in the company. You mentioned one already just with maternity leave and the groups you put together. But regrettably, Bert, what some leaders don't realize is that a lack of commitment and proactivity toward diversity, equity, and inclusion, it puts them at a real disadvantage in terms of attracting and retaining that best talent. And this is born out of a survey. I'll share some statistics with you, an industry survey from the Women's Business Collaborative, which we're a part of, and that's in partnership with, by the way, for the first time, all of our industry associations coming together. So American Staffing Association, Staffing Industry Analysts, and TechServe Alliance, and research also published by SIA that basically 48% a female representation in the staffing industry at the entry level drops to 21% at the C-suite and to only 4% for women of color. So again, these are, talk about data, data speaks volumes. We did for the very first time this industry survey and enlisted all of the associations to do that. So I kind of coupled that, Bert. So when I looked at that data, it obviously it really hit me because my gut feeling was validated with data. But then I remembered over the years in the past hearing things like, oh, she got engaged, take her off the table for a promotion, or, you know, she got engaged, she's now going to get married, she's going to want a family. You know what? Then it's all over. And I remember hearing that multiple times, especially as soon as someone actually got pregnant. I know myself, I went through that even as a business owner, people questioning myself and if I was going to keep my business open. But you actually have been known to promote women into pretty high profile roles while pregnant. Jessica Calzaretta, again, being one of those. In essence, we need to make an impact on two levels. So first, supporting everyone through the process and giving them the resources and confidence they need. And second, moving past any of these stereotypes that today, it just sounds ridiculous saying, but unfortunately, it is sometimes said. So one significant reason women self-select out of the workforce is when they decide to have a family. And you did something I really haven't heard a lot of companies investing in, and you shared this with me when we were doing a little background on the podcast. So I don't even think it's something you kind of publicly talk about a lot, but you actually hired someone into a full-time position to support working parents. So from the time they find out they're expecting to the time they return and beyond. And then, as you mentioned, you even changed your policies to encourage parents not only to take that time off, But when you're in a fee earner role or in a sales or recruiting position and a manager level where you're impacted based on commissions and so forth, you even changed your policy to make sure people weren't impacted financially. So why don't you share with us what you did and then the impact it's making? Yeah. So I'll say one, I think when you invest in taking care of your people with real dollars, it's just never that expensive. I mean, it's just not. So like take any thoughts around like, well, they, did they earn that commission? Like, it's just not that expensive. So just do it is the first thing I would say. Don't get caught up on the numbers. But yeah, so we've got, I mean, if over 1,300 sales uh, people in our organization, account managers, we've got another 1,500 recruiters. And so much of our, of our people's compensation is variable. It, it is commission driven, like a lot of the folks in our industry. And so, you know, what do you tell the new mom that's about to go on maternity leave? You're not going to be servicing your, you know, your territory for three months and seeing your customers and what happens to your commission. So we just said, you know, let's just, let's try to hammer that 
where that's just not going to be a fear because we had some moms that were struggling with that. And then people, you know, women that weren't even married yet, but knowing they wanted to one day be a mom and thinking, well, I probably can't work here once I'm married and have kids. And so, yeah, we, we first put on the women's leadership council to figure this out, which is, again, this is great. Like they got together to figure this out. This, I just sort of was like, Hey, I don't care what we need to spend. Let's just spend the money. And they figured out all the guts of it. And that was, yeah, they hired a, a full-time person. And now I think it's a small team and all they do is the second we find out, you know, a new mom is expecting to get them involved with this person in HR. And they basically quarterback this whole plan around, okay, who's going to be taking over for this mom while she's out on leave? You know, who's going to service the customers? Who's going to you know screen the candidates and submit to her active open requirements while she's out? Okay, we'll have to pay commission to this person too, and we'll pay commission to the mom and to the recruiter. So yeah, you're going to add another person in, into the commission cycle. So you're going to make a little less margin on, on for three months, right? Who cares? Not a big deal. And you just lock it in. And so, yeah, we basically protect the mom's commissions for the three months while they're out. And then we also kind of lock them into the same commissions for the three months while they're back, because when they get back, they still have to kind of rebuild their territory again, right? Uh, even with somebody covering for them. And so by doing that, by sort of just totally blanketing our people and this feeling of support, not just in like, okay, here's our game plan and here's here's assignments on who's going to be covering what, but also financially, you just remove tons of fear and you remove tons of anxiety. And now having a kid gets to be like a fun thing that you look forward to it so you don't have to stress about it. And people come back and guess what? They're like, wow, I'm really thankful my company did this. And they work even harder and they're even more productive. And that's just kind of how that goes. And so I would just say, as you're looking at doing, you can write this up any way you want, but it comes down to making sure you really act in a big and bold way around protecting your people. And if you do that, I think it's very rare that people come back to work and decide to like be lazy and not be a producer for you. And so we love looking for opportunities like that where we can show up in sort of a bold way uh, for our people. It must create a nice sense of loyalty to the company where people understand, again, we mentioned it earlier, you've got their back. And that feeling of, you know, it's important, like you said, this is something they should be excited about and not self-select out because they feel like they're not going to be able to perform at the same level and have the same type of financial success and support. To lose somebody in your company that's probably been with your company for several years, that is now at the point in life where they are a parent, you are losing so much expertise. You're losing so much experience. You're just losing so much value. So you don't want to lose that person. You really don't. You want to do whatever you can to to keep them there. And by the way, you could argue that parents sometimes have a unique uh, skill when it comes to leading others. And so because they are a parent, so you don't want to lose that aspect of it as well. Right, exactly. And a big piece of it, I find, Bert, is just having the ability to feel comfortable having conversations and Mm. not being afraid if someone wants to take the time off and completely take the time off and disengage. If they feel like, gosh, I want to just tell you, we've had a couple of women on our podcast who said, you know, they made a point when leaving for maternity leave to say, listen, if there's an opportunity for promotion, if there's, you know, an opportunity 
to for anything like that, I want to be considered. Please don't take me off the table just because I'm not at the office and the first person you may think of and really making a point before they leave to make that crystal clear. So like anything, it often just comes down to, you know, we don't have to have the old HR book that we had maybe when you and I were growing up hmm. in the industry. Things have definitely hmm. changed and that thinking needs to evolve with it. And and part of that bird is, you know, you and I have talked about this. We've been on a couple of webinars together and talking to your team and so forth is just ways to get more men involved in the conversation. And in the past, I really appreciated when you said this and we were prepping too, that a lot of times men are just scared to speak up. And most are really nice guys, but afraid to have the difficult conversations such as what if they ask me something I can't answer? What if they have demands I can't meet? And I remember, Bert, once I sat on a board where one of the executives was advised, one of the male CEOs was advised to not have any closed door meetings with women. And, you know, I've even heard of executives ensuring that they have someone with them. So if a male CEO or executive is going out to lunch with another female colleague, just to make sure that they were protected. So it's just not having those conversations. It's a lot easier to suppress and not talk about it. But in the end, it ultimately holds people back. It certainly doesn't make right. us women feel good when we know that. Right. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. So let's talk about solutions here. So one thing I truly hope by having male leaders like you on this podcast will make a difference is by taking action. And we always say, if women can see other women in the C-suite, they will believe that they too can get there. And I really hope Bert, that perhaps the same is true in this case, that the more people who see men in leadership positions like you speak up, the more likely other men will too. So certainly that's a good starting point. There's a great Maya Angelou quote I want to share with you, and it basically boils down to when you know better, you do better. And so I want to hear from you, your advice. What do you have to say to your male counterparts and men in the workforce in general? What advice do you have for them? That is a great question. And I think you're right. I mean, I'm thinking about my old boss. I mean, the vast majority of men are really good guys. They're just a little uncertain and they, and they don't know. And it's like, well, what if they ask for something I can't give them? And what I would say is that it's fine. It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be fine. I promise. All you're doing is really just recognizing somebody and inviting them to sit at the table and to share their perspective. That's it. That's the one thing I would say. And please do it. And, and please believe me. If you're still cautious, please reach out to me on LinkedIn um, if you want. Uh, please ask me. I'm happy to talk to anybody. And that goes for any of your listeners that are listening that may be female, that want to get their male bosses involved, know that they can reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to, to any of them. The other thing I would say is know that you don't have to have all the answers right away. I mean, it, it can be one of those things to where you say a male counterpart trying to, to be an ally. You can approach a female leader and say, hey, you know, I, I feel like this is a problem. What do you think about it? How do we solve this? And you can start to kind of work the problem together. Don't expect, even if this problem that you bring up gets met with, well, hey, I think we should do this. Don't expect that you have to say yes or no right then or there. You're going on a bit of a journey on trying to make your workplace better and more inclusive. And I think, again, the vast majority of women know that. They want you to act <laughs> and they want you to get on with it. It's just act, just do something, start the conversation and understand that, 
the nice thing is that we're DEI, as you said earlier, it's all still new. We're all still trying to figure this out. So I think there's I think there's lots of grace being given to lots of people so long as they get in and try to start acting. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing is just to take action and to remember, I mean, as CEOs, we don't have all the answers to everything anyway. So it's okay not to have all of the answers to this, but we need to listen and give people the opportunity to speak and use their voices. We talked about earlier in the conversation. So well, Bert, I will say I want to jump into here a little bit of a rapid fire session. It's something we do on the Edge podcast uh, before we kind of close with one final question. So if you're ready, I'll go ahead and jump into that portion. I'll do my best. All right, here we go. Your first question, rapid fire here. What's one thing men can do today to get closer to authentic allyship? Find a senior leader, female in their organization and tell them they want to do that and set a goal together around helping them getting advanced. Make it very tangible. I love that. Accountability partner of such. When did you know you were an ally? When I was sitting in our first Women's Leadership Council meeting uh, that we did together in D.C., <laughs> in our D.C. office, I'm sitting in a room with 15 other you know, female leaders in our company. We were launching the Women's Leadership Council, and I was thinking to myself, wow, this is happening. This is really happening. It was a, a bit of a scary moment, but a very cool moment. And your leadership team to this day, they give you so much credit for using your voice to start that and really put that forward. It speaks volumes, you know, when you're not in the room and people are talking about you that when you're not in the room, they're all saying that about you. What an oh. ally are for them in the company. Well, thank you. And now the industry at large, Bert, making a big difference here. <laughs> Okay, what's one thing people don't know about you? That I don't have all the answers. Um, sometimes I think a CEO, and I sort of said this earlier, but a CEO, I think, because I was this way, you think, oh, that person's a CEO. They must know everything about business. <laughs> and I think I speak for myself and other senior leaders. Man, you guys don't even know the amount of stuff we don't know. So we do really need people around us to speak up and to tell us things and don't assume that we know it could be issues that are going on it could be improvements that we need to make in the business. Uh, and I will do my best to, to be receptive to all of those ideas, questions, solutions, et cetera. Great. What does it mean to be an ally to you? This question I find to be a bit of a soul searcher, and I really want to get the answer right. But it is just a deep, deep belief, you know, seeing, let's say, another member of your team company that is female, let's say, or anybody from an underrepresented group that, that's trying to advance and saying, I see you as a person, I see you as my equal, I see you as having value, I see you as you are going to help me grow this community or this organization or this company, and I need you on the field. So how can I help you get on the field? How can I champion you? How can I show you that I believe in you? How can I push you? But how can I get more of you, you know, into what we're trying to build? And it's just having a real deep belief and showing that through a bunch of action. Well, we know DNI is a commonly used term, but the other pieces of being equitable, having an equitable work environment where you talk about belonging and so forth. So just the fact of being seen is so important that we see you and you have a voice and you play a role. You do belong. You are accepted. Just to bring someone said that to me today, like I feel comfortable bringing my whole self to work 
and this part of my life, you should be that same person, whoever you are at home and at work. So I really percent. So Bert, we, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but my closing question for you, we are 136 years away from reaching equality. And when I think about that and add it into generations, I naively thought my now six-year-old son would be, he will play a huge role in helping us reach equality. I'm very confident. However, his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-grandchildren probably would never see that if we just listen to what statistics tell us. So I do believe we can narrow that gap by focusing on allyship and focusing on change at home and believing that DEI is for everyone. I mean, every single person. So kind of switching from allyship to really that just real DEI perspective to those who are here to learn and really want to know what they can do to help advocate for and support these efforts. What one piece of advice do you have with the bias for action? So I think um, we're sort of simple creatures as humans, I think. And, and uh, in order to take action, we need to be moved by stories and, and examples that are really simple. And a lot of times I think what holds people from underrepresented groups back is, well, they don't have the experience or they don't have the education. So gosh, I'd like to bring them in, but you know, we have these rules and they just don't match up. So sorry. And so what I would say is do the bold thing. Like if you meet somebody that is works security at your building, and if they have grit and if they have character and they have effort, hire them in into a totally different job into your company, right? Take the bet that this person can learn. If there's somebody in your organization that boy, there's something you really believe that they have inside them, even though they don't have any of the experience, let's say, or they don't have any of the, of the tenure, do the crazy thing and give them a promotion and advance them or put them on somebody else's team that's going to grow them. But look for those sort of bold moves that you can do to help really either put somebody in a role or elevate somebody in a role, not because of the fact that they come from an underrepresented group, because you see something really deep in them. And then what will happen nine times out of 10 is that person will actually rise up to the moment. Well, and to allow people that opportunity to do that, the permission to do that. You know, I mentioned earlier, we're all in this kind of learning stance right now, myself included. And DEI being fairly new, most of the leaders, it's interesting. And I so appreciate that you launched a division and practice on this because there's such a high growth rate of people entering into the field, but there unfortunately could be an even higher growth rate rate of people exiting the field out of being frustrated from, you know, not being able to have the proper budget or buy-in at their company level. So a lot of what we're doing with this podcast and what I took away from you here today is really that we're all in this kind of learning and growing place and period and not to be afraid to not have all of the answers. And when you see yourself like Insight Global in a position of power where you can launch a full division to support the companies you work with and the consultants you work with or your teammates to offer them support within the company when they take leave to know that they're protected and they have a safe place to come back to and 
their compensation isn't impacted and there's still opportunity for advancement because you've done that with other leaders in your company, you know, really leading by example and, and showing people that you're learning along the way too, you're putting things into action. And uh, yeah, it just speaks real volumes for where we can go and the difference we can make as an industry. So Bert, I took a lot out of this conversation today and I just want to say thank you again for being such a strong ally for not only the women in your company, but for myself, those in leadership positions and just the industry in general and the communities we serve. I appreciate you and really appreciate you sharing your story and such great advice today. Thank you so much, Leslie. And thank you uh, for giving me this platform. This has been great. Well, we're going to take you up on some of your ideas of getting other men involved and how we can create some safe places for um, everyone to be able to have open conversations. So you've really given us a lot to think about. Okay. What's the best way to get in touch? Is LinkedIn the easiest way to reach out to you? Yeah. LinkedIn is LinkedIn's great. I get lots of messages there, as you might imagine. You can also, anybody can just call me at 404-784-8866 or text me. That's my cell phone. I don't even really use my desk phone anymore. I don't even know if it's plugged in. Um, but yeah, cell phone is the best way to reach me. Text or call 404-784-8866. And then email bert.bean, so bert.bean at insightglobal.com. Okay, you are bold, my friend, for putting your number out there. Thank you. That speaks volumes. And thank you again for being our first ally on the Allyship in Action series. Great. Thanks, Leslie.